Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. So Acts chapter 22, we're all there and would you say amen? Amen. Amen. Let's get into it. Men and brethren, Paul speaking, and fathers, hear ye my defense which I make now unto you. And when they had heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, them being all this chaotic crowd, all these unbelieving Jews that had gathered outside of the fortress of Antonio, and uh, they are now coming up against him. He's standing on the steps. So he's speaking to them in the Hebrew tongue as he had asked of, uh, of, uh, of the, um, the chief or the captain of that fortress. He was a Roman soldier, and so he's asked this. And so now he's speaking to this, this crowd of countrymen, the Jews, and he says, and they kept their silence, and he saith, verse number three, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, ye brought up, uh, 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 yet brought up in the city at the feet of Gamaliel. Uh, he is saying, I was brought up in Jerusalem and taught according to the perfect manner of the law, very precise, the law of the fathers, and was what? Zealous toward God as ye all are this day. And I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest doth bear witness and all the estate of the elders, from whom also I received letters unto the brethren and went to Damascus to bring them which were there bound unto Jerusalem for to be punished, all for following Jesus Christ. Verse 6, And it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh unto Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. And I fell unto the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, let's read together, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, who art thou, Lord? And he saith unto me, let's read, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid, as we would all be, no doubt. In the middle of the day, a light brighter than the sun shining. That, that's just stunning, but that's the Lord. He's, he's light indeed. But they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, let's read, Arise and go into Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. And when I could not see for the glory of the light. By the way, there's not going to be a sun in heaven. The Lamb is going to light heaven. And we will see that light. Saul got to see it on the road to Damascus. We'll see that light. For the glory of the light, verse 11, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said uh, unto me, Brother Saul, say that with me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. And the same hour I looked up unto him. And he said, The God of our fathers has chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will, and see, notice, that just one. It's Jesus. And shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling upon the name of the Lord. And it came to pass that when I was come again to Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance, 
and saw him saying unto me, let's read, make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. And I said, Lord, they know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believe on thee. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. And he said unto me, read together, depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. And they, this audience that's gathering and listening, gave him audience unto this word, unto this word, and then lifted up their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. Now there's a great end to sharing your story right there. Now let's break this apart on this, on this whatever time of the day it is. Uh, let's pray. How about that? Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to read your infallible and errant word. We trust it is your truth. You said it's forever settled in heaven. You've elevated this, this word that we have just read above your own name. Lord, you've equated it with who you are as, as God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. You said in John 17 that thy word is truth. You said that it's by the word that we are washed, that we are cleansed, first in salvation, but in sanctification throughout the rest of our Christian journey. We're washed by your word. So Lord, I pray that you would cleanse us today, that you'd wash us, that you'd renew us, that you'd replenish us through your word. Thank you for this story, the, the story, the testimony, the witness of the Apostle Paul. And I pray that you would help us to apply it into our lives so that we might not only share it, but also have that same story. So we ask for your help today. We pray for any that do not know you as Savior. We ask that you draw them by your love to yourself. And we thank you for what you'll do in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. Paul shares his story, his story. Uh, he is in the midst of a really chaotic time, and uh, Paul has, has come back home to Jerusalem to witness of all that God had done over the past um, about less than 20 years and to celebrate Pentecost with the believers there in Jerusalem. And he's just finding that the believers there in Jerusalem have a different perspective. It's a largely Jewish context, and he had been witnessing and preaching to the Gentiles. So there was a little bit of a rub of perspective, but we saw that by the grace of God last week, we saw that Paul uh, showed deference to those with a different perspective and honored them in their location, honored Pastor James and the different pastors there. He just showed a heart of deference, and we learned how that even when our gifting sometimes might rub and sometimes we have a difference of perspectives, that we as believers should have the grace of God upon us to show deference to one another uh, not condoning sin, not condoning sin in any way, but show deference where there's a difference of perspective. But it didn't last long there before the whole city got angered and riled up by the influence of the Jews from Asia that had been a part of stoning uh, Paul and Lystra and, and traveling around in, in Derby and Iconium and traveling and uh, stirring up chaos from city to city uh, uh, some years back. And so now they're in Jerusalem celebrating a, a high day and, and they're stirring it up there again in Jerusalem. And so they assumed that he brought a Gentile into the temple and, and that was a no-no. And, and, and in fact, we learned last week that if you bring a Gentile into the temple, or if a Gentile would enter into the temple uh, and stray from the court of the Gentiles, uh, there was a sign, a placard posted that uh, if you go in, your death is on you. Basically, uh, a really welcoming message, your death is your fault. And so they meant that, and they thought that Paul had brought Trophimus, who was from Ephesus, into the, into the temple. He had not. And so the whole city... The whole city, the Bible says, is riled up and they've come out to the temple and they carry him out of the temple and uh, because of this whole chaos that's going on, there was this, this, uh, this fortress that the Romans had built on the side of the temple and you see it here, the uh, Antonia uh, fortress there and is built on the side of the temple and you see those, those turrets there, or those watchtowers, so they could oversee what was happening in the Jewish faith. You can understand why the Jews did not much care for the Roman occupation because their, their every move was being watched. They could not watch your cell phones, 
but they could watch you from these towers, all right? And so uh, we might have different, uh, uh, you know, spying out in these days, but uh, in that day, they still were watching out over everything that was going on. And that's why so quickly uh, the, the, uh, the ruler of that or the overseer of that fortress could come down and bring his whole band uh, somewhere between 600 and 1,000 men that likely showed up there, centurions as well, and they were, they were trying to break up this, this whole riot that was going on, focusing around the Apostle Paul. But the, the, the captain of the fortress couldn't figure out what was going on, so he, he actually has his men carry Paul, pick him up, carry him, and I want you to notice the steps down there in yellow on that picture, but you can see it a little bit better here. And obviously, this is a, a reflection back, and, and you know, uh, it's not an actual picture from back, back in that day, understand? But uh, I want you to get a mental image of where Paul is. He is on those steps at the entry. Uh, some say that there might have been a, a, a gate that led right out that side of the temple, the temple complex. Either that or he came out the, on the front of the temple complex, the eastern side of the temple, or uh, eastern side of the temple complex and came around the soldiers bearing him to that place so he's on the steps i want you to get the picture he's on the steps and he looks at the he looks at the uh the captain of the fortress and he goes can i address this crowd and i just want us to remember the fact that god's grace was upon paul in the midst of this chaos this hostility remember he'd already been beaten so he's physically suffering at the hands of a very angry city for just simply preaching the gospel in different regions around, uh, around the Gentile world, but yes, just preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's there on the steps, and it is the grace of God that gave him composure in that moment. But I want to go further. It's the grace of God that allowed him and enabled him to take chapter 22 and speak his story, to, to have the presence of mind to speak his story. And I just am reminded of the fact, you know, sometimes we get so scared of a hostile world. Well, they won't agree with me. They won't listen to my words. And we go silent. Friends, America right now, Kettering right now, your neighborhood does not need your silence. They need your story. They need your story. I'm not talking about a fairy tale. They need your firsthand account of how you came to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see in the life of the Apostle Paul, and we learn from his example how to allow the grace of God to be upon us. We're talking about the enablement of God's grace, his strength, his supernatural enablement to be upon us so that we might be the witness that we ought to be. Acts 1.8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. If you're a believer here today, you have the Holy Ghost indwelling you today, and you have all the power that you need to not be silent but to share your story you have all the power that you need and we think oh i can't do this this is beyond my capability he said but ye shall receive power after that the holy ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses where in jerusalem judea in samaria in the uttermost parts of the earth so god's desire is that we would be witnesses not just paul not just the disciples not just a pastor not just deacons or a sunday school teacher not just people who really seem to have the ability, but that we'd all be witnesses everywhere that we go. This isn't just a command for that area of the world. It's a command for here. You're to be a witness in your, your home place, in your neighborhood, your workplace, in Kettering, in Ohio, in the United States, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Witness is just someone who sees something firsthand and speaks about it and shares their perspective shares their story if you're a believer here today your salvation experience may not be the same as the person sitting next to you but you have a salvation experience and i'd encourage every one of us before leaving this place you need to know that you've had a moment in time where you've come to the lord jesus christ you need that experience not just a you need that that transaction with christ you need to know for certain there's been a day in your life where you've been rescued from the penalty of your sin and forgiven of all your sin and that your home is heaven when you die. And if you have that story today, it may not be the same as someone else's, but it's a story. And God's given you that story. No one else can share that story like you can share that story. And I want us to see how Paul in this moment shares his story. Now, uh, do understand this is the second of four times in the New Testament, as I see it, that Paul shares his story and the Holy Spirit deems best that we would know about it. That's pretty awesome. Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22, Acts chapter 26, and Galatians chapter number 1. 
my personal favorite really is how Galatians chapter number one ends. He gets all done sharing it, and this last short verse is, and they glorified God in me. The purpose of you sharing your story is to bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's an amazing thing that happens in Paul's life. And so here, the second of, uh, of four times, and he says this, look at verse number one with me. I'm referencing the scriptures, chapter 22 and verse number one. Men and brethren and fathers hear my defense, all right? He literally says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lay this out in a legal, logical way. I'm gonna share this from start to finish with you. I'm gonna be very methodical how God did this. And he sets it up on arguments and, and he, he shares it in a very uh, methodical way as Paul would be expected to do. And so he says, men and brethren, they're on the steps of that fortress. He's declaring men and brethren and fathers. I want us to notice something right at the get-go. Paul's way that he addressed the people was one of inclusion and respect. What do I mean by that? Sometimes Christians can share their, their story or share their faith in a way that pits them against the lost. And I want you to notice what Paul says here. He goes, men and brethren. Now you say, well, he's talking to the, the saved people. Well, that's not actually what this, this word means. It wasn't talking to the saved Jews. He was talking to his fellow countrymen. Men and brethren. Right away, he did not pit himself, well, you sinners, you need to come to Jesus. You see the difference? He warmly addresses the crowd, including them, including himself with them. I'm one of you. Men and brethren and fathers, a respectful term. He acknowledged those that were older. He acknowledged those that were elders in the, in the crowd, and he gave them respect. He did not talk down to them. We should not talk down to anyone. Hey, we're a human, right? You all human? You created by God? I'm sure thankful for that. That means that we're no better than anyone else. It doesn't matter skin color, it doesn't matter social status, it doesn't matter uh, our ethnic background, it doesn't matter any of that. We're no different than anyone else. And we should not talk down to anybody. You ought to respect, include your part, and, uh, and praise the Lord. We, as, as humans, as the Bible says, we are vessels of clay in whom God has bestowed this glorious light, and we get to share that with other people. It's pretty amazing what we get to do. And so we are just like them, and Paul includes in the way that he addresses them, but I want us to notice where he starts. And let me just run down the outline um, for us. Let's just understand, Paul's going to have three sections to his, his story, before Christ, meeting Christ, and since Christ. And so he shares that, and really I want to encourage you in that same way. You need to set up your story, uh, share your story in a similar way. Before Christ, in chapter uh, 22, verses 1 through 5, Paul notes that his standing as a Jew, his standing in society as a Jew. He says, I am a Jew. I'm born in Tarsus. He wasn't born in Jerusalem. He was born up in Tarsus. And so he acknowledges that for them. He wants them to realize, hey, I was, I was foreign born. I wasn't born here, but I am actually Jewish born. And it was up in the Sicily area, so you can see how that's all um, way north of, of um, Jerusalem. So he's born up there, and he he notes this, and to the Jewish people and to his audience, his family and his family lineage was very important. Part of them giving him a hearing even on that day, a, a great first step to gaining his audience or gaining the listening ear of his audience was to say, I'm a Jew. I'm a Jew. Oh, yeah? All right, we're going to give a little bit of an ear. Why? Because to them, family, ancestry, uh, genealogy, family lineage, all that was very important to them. And so he immediately begins establishing a connection with the, uh, with the people, a common bond. I'm, I'm with you. Not only do I call you fellow countrymen, I am a Jew. But I want us to realize Paul is building a foundation here in these statements in the next several verses. He's building some, some things. Many of these people thought, well, just because I'm a Jew and I, I, I'm, a, I, I'm a, a, an Israelite, boy, I'm good with God. I'm not like the rest of the people, but I'm good with God. Hey, he was trying to help them understand. I'm a Jew, and uh, we will understand as we go through, even having a respectable lineage, even just being a Jew, doesn't fit me for heaven. This doesn't make me right with God. 
This doesn't make me, just because I have a family, uh, just because I grew up in a Christian family, doesn't make me right with God. I oftentimes in my own testimony share, I did grow up in a Christian family, but there came a time in my life where I had to realize my family wasn't going to save me. And so we remember what Nicodemus was told by Jesus in John 3. Jesus answered, said unto him, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And I just want to speak a minute to those who may have even grown up in a Christian family, those who have grown up in this church, just because you've been in this church and maybe service after service does not mean you'll enter the kingdom of heaven. You must be born again. It's very, very important that we understand that. And so he says, I'm a Jew. But what else does he say? I was schooled in the school. I sat at the feet of Gamaliel in this city. I went to the most prestigious school that you could possibly go to. So when he uh, mentions Gamaliel, the ears, of the ears of the Jewish people would have perked up. It was a big deal for him to have been schooled in that, in that way. Gamaliel was a well-respected uh, Pharisee, a leader of, in the Sanhedrin. He was a master teacher of the law. He was uh, responsible for most of uh, Paul's rabbinic education. Uh, chapter 5, we see that in verse number 34. Uh, Josephus is, uh, describes Gamaliel's family as very illustrious and uh, he is uh, thought to be the, the grandson of the great Hillel, and, uh, who was also of the, the Sanhedrin, who had a very, uh, very honoring title as elder that was bestowed upon him, but it seems also bestowed upon Gamaliel. Um, he would have been understood in that day as the greatest living authority uh, and most revered figure in all of Judaism. He was just a very elevated figure. And if we could just think for a moment... Paul not just, doesn't just talk about his family or his standing as a Jew, but he also talks about his schooling, his education. And again, just bearing, uh, getting the confidence of those that were there. Hey, I was, I was schooled in the best place. It'd be like saying, I was schooled at Yale to some people. I was schooled at Harvard or Princeton. There's just kind of, a, there's just kind of an air that comes along with that, a, 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 a respect that comes along with, um, with naming some of that. I was schooled at the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was even consulted by royalty concerning matters of Jewish law. He was just well-respected all the way around. And Paul says, that's, that's where I got my education. So you think about this, uh, the Pharisees of whom Gamaliel was and who Paul was, he said, I was a Pharisee, the Pharisee, their, their mentality was, hey, we know, we have knowledge, uh, we're good. Our knowledge and our exceeding righteousness is what fits us for heaven, is what makes us have God's, uh, God's grace upon us. It merits God's favor. Uh, Jesus said, except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. So they thought very highly of himself, and now Paul is revealing, hey, I, I'm one of those, and I, I schooled with the best. I'm one of those. Listen, Paul was laying again this foundation, uh, family doesn't fit us for heaven, where we were raised doesn't fit us for heaven, superior education doesn't fit us for heaven. Superior education does not fit us for heaven. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse number 25, because the foolishness of God is wiser than, uh, than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts and he has given to us the revelation of himself declaring this is the way that you must follow. This is the way that you must go. If you want to be prepared for heaven while you spend your 70 years or your 40 years here on earth, you must follow this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I quoted a moment ago, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's the Word that brings salvation to our hearts. And so it's not superior education that would fit Paul for heaven, and he was noting that. They would have all respected that. They would have respected his education. But he's saying, Listen, this is where I came from. But I want us to also notice the sincerity of Paul before God. In verse number three, at the end of it, and was zealous toward God. And was zealous towards God. This, uh, this word has kind of the connotation of a, a nationalist. Uh, I want to bring your attention back to the man Barabbas. Do you remember him? Do you remember Barabbas? Barabbas was in prison by the Romans because of leading insurrections for Jewish freedom. And so he was in prison, and when, when Pilate offered the crowd 
uh, the freedom of Barabbas or the freedom of Jesus, the crowd, the Jews there, they, they welcomed a national freedom giver, if you will, uh, one that fought for their national freedom rather than Jesus who was fighting and, and literally giving his life for their spiritual freedom, their freedom from sin, death, and hell. And so he was, he was just like this. He was a zealot. And so Paul says, I was zealous. And it wasn't zealous necessarily for, uh, in a national way. It was zealous for the, the law of Moses, zealous for God, and zealous against the followers of the way. You remember what he said there? He said, I persecuted those in the way. That was a common way of referring to those that followed after Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, and so those that followed after him kind of got this nickname, those that followed after the way. And so he was zealous against them. He says in uh, Romans 10 and verse number uh, 2, they would all understood this in, in Jerusalem. Uh, For I bear you record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. So they were zealous, they were sincere. Paul was sincere about God, but it wasn't, it wasn't according to the knowledge of God. He did not submit himself to the righteousness of God. And so I want us just to note from Paul's life that while family did not fit him for heaven, superior education did not fit him for heaven, neither did sincerity fit him for heaven. There are many in the world who are sincere. In fact, I was thinking about this. Do you know most people don't insincerely hold beliefs? Every one of you have perspective and, uh, perspectives and beliefs. You're sincere in those. You talk to people at work or out in, the pu- uh, in public. They're sincere in their beliefs. That's why they hold them. But sincerity of belief or sincerity towards God does not necessarily fit you for heaven. Sincerity in truth will, following after the truth will, but Paul's like, hey, I was zealous, but Jesus showed him he was zealous in a wrong way. He was zealous against him, not for him. And so he just shares how that he was sincere. I was zealous. I was all in. I, I'm, I'm fully in this. I'm, I'm very zealous. I'm reminded in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, which believe not. So we have many in the world, many in the world, who do not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but they're zealous in their beliefs. They're zealous in their beliefs apart from Christ or against Christ. They're zealous in those beliefs. God says in 2 Corinthians, the God of this world has blinded their eyes. Blinded. One of the most tragic things that I see out in our world and, and witnessing of Jesus Christ is when people have not cracked open the Bible. They've been told by high clergy what the Bible says, and they've been told wrong. And they've never investigated it for themselves. They've never opened up the book of John and read what does the Bible say about Jesus Christ. And it's so sad because if they could only see that, it, it would, they would, their eyes would be open to, whoa, what have I been missing? What have I not been told? And yes, the God of this world, one of the ways that he blinds people is by keeping this out of, out of their hands, by keeping them from reading it, saying, oh, I can't understand that. That's just for the clergy. That's just for somebody else. That's why we encourage, bring your Bible to church. That's why we encourage, read your Bible every day. Study the scriptures and show yourself approved unto God in that way. Why? Because you need to get into the word of God. You need to see it for yourself. You don't want to be blinded by the God of this world in any way. And so we encourage that. One of the first encouragements I give to people in reading the Bible is go to the book of John and read it. Just ask God to show you truth in the book of John. Read through the book of John, all 21 chapters, and allow God to show you. Paul shared his before Christ, but I want us to notice he quickly gets to, in verse number, verse number six, look at it with me, he quickly gets to his meeting of Christ. And it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh to Damascus, about noon, about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light about me. 
And so he uh, asks the question, hey, who are you? And I just want us to really grab a hold of this. Uh, as Paul is continuing to tell his story, they're all quiet still. This is pretty amazing. They're all quiet. They're listening to this guy who's in, uh, is, is bound up, is in, in chains with two chains as the, the captain of the, of the fortress commanded. And he's standing there and he's witnessing. He's speaking his story and they're all listening. And so he's about ready to really get to the crux of the matter. Uh, when he uh, meets Christ and he says, uh, he fell down on the ground. He says, uh, he hears this voice, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Remember, he's going to Damascus to persecute, to bind up men, women, and children and bring them back to Jerusalem to kill them. Really nice guy. He was pretty zealous. He's fully engaged in a life without Christ. Fully just, I mean, he is fully tuned in to a life against Christ. He is, in every stretch of the, every meaning of the word, as Romans 5.10 says, he is an enemy of God. We're all enemies when we're not in Christ. We're all enemies of God. We've sinned against him. But Paul here is just flagrantly showing that in his life, enemy of God. And here Jesus shows up, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And did you notice what he says? Who art thou, Lord? Now, at this point, he didn't know who he was. That's why he asked. Who art thou, Lord? And I want us again to read what, what, what Paul is told by Jesus Christ. Would you read that again with me? I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. One more time. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. Man, what words. What life-changing words. When was the moment that you realized who Jesus was? What road were you traveling when you realized, finally came to grips with the fact, Jesus is the one who God sent to pay for my sins? Do you remember back to that day? Do you remember the day that you were saved or you accepted? Yes, I heard his voice. I heard his word. Maybe it was through a preacher. Maybe it was through a radio program. Maybe it was through reading the Bible. Uh, whatever it was, do you remember back to the day when you finally came to grips with the fact that he is Jesus of Nazareth, the one who came into the world to save men from their sins? Jesus revealed himself to Paul by his word, by his word. And friends, no different than Jesus has continued to reveal himself all over our world through his word. That's why the Grenada Bible Project is so very important. Because you have a dearth of the word of God in that little island nation right above Venezuela that needs the word of God. And Monday morning, I wish we could all be there, Brother Patterson is down there to watch that ship roll in with 80,000 Bibles. You talk about the power that's on that ship. Maybe the, the, um, the captain and the crew don't even realize what they're carrying. The precious cargo, the word of God, going to roll into that harbor. That's going to be an amazing day as those are, those are lifted off. And we ought to pray for that. But listen, it's the word. It is the word of God by which Jesus revealed himself to Paul. And it's still the word of God that, um, that is revealing Jesus to people today. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Word of God. So he reveals himself. But he also, and I want us to catch this, because sometimes we detach Jesus Christ from the body or from believers. I want us to really catch this, whom thou persecutest. Who is Paul persecuting? Well, specifically, anyone that had believed on him, right? Paul was specifically going after anyone that followed the way, whether they're Jews well, and I guess that you'd be right on that. He was specifically going after, after those that had, had believed on him. But he's persecuting believers. He's persecuting those who had placed faith in Jesus Christ, who had turned from the way to the way. And so I want us to realize Jesus does not say, uh, I'm Jesus and you're persecuting my followers. He says, I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. He's saying, Paul, you're literally persecuting me. And friends, sometimes in this day, we diminish the importance of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ and the assemblies of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ and the, the working and the, the representation of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ in this age. But Jesus, what, who we are as born-again believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're not just some group that's meeting together. It is the body of Jesus Christ, and Jesus puts no distinction there between his body and himself. 
I'm not saying you're Jesus. I'm not saying that. But he puts no distinction. This is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those that have called on Jesus Christ by faith, received him as their Savior, and, 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 and have all their sins forgiven. And he says, listen, you're persecuting me when you do that. And so think about it. When you're opposed in your workplace, when you're opposed by your family members and ridiculed, they're not ridiculing you for your faith. They're ridiculing who? Jesus Christ. We need to remember that. And so Jesus notes that to the Apostle Paul, and then what does Paul say to him? What shall I do? What? Lord. Lord. whole lot of meaning that's carried in that, that word Lord. Paul acknowledged who Christ was as Lord. Romans 10 and verse 9, that if thou shalt confess, say the same thing as, confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Listen, here in the road to Damascus, there was a point in Paul's life where he realized when Jesus re uh, revealed himself, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest, and he responds back, Lord, what shall I do? There was a point here that Paul acknowledged and acknowledged who Jesus Christ was, it's exactly what it takes to be saved, acknowledging who he is and what he has done for you. Our witness should include the moment that we acknowledge who Jesus Christ is and the moment that we believed on his name. We don't want to water it down. We must include and tell people, I was a sinner. No matter my upbringing, no matter where I grew up, no matter my education, I am a sinner before a holy God. And Jesus Christ of Nazareth Jesus Christ came into the world to die on the cross in my place for my sins. And there was a day where I realized from his word that he was who he said he was, and I acknowledged that. I acknowledge who he is. I accept who he is, and I believed on his name. And the Bible says, those that believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. He's not just like any other um, person that says that they're God. He, he literally rose from the dead, proving his victory over sin, death, and hell, and he says, those that believe on him will be saved. Praise the Lord for that. Do you remember the day that you believed on him? Do you remember that day? If not, this can be your day. John 3.18, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Paul received Christ. He acknowledged who he was. He received him. But I want us to, to catch the fact that he didn't just stop there. There are some that are very content with just receiving Christ. That, I'm, I'm so thankful, I am so thankful for the assurance of salvation that when we are born again, when we receive Christ by faith, uh, we, we have eternal life. It's settled. John, read John 10. It's settled. I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Now therefore there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, Romans chapter 8. But that's not the end of Christ's purpose for your life. That's what gives you salvation, but that's not the end of the purpose. Jesus wants us to identify with him as Paul did in verses 10 through 16. What shall I do, Lord? He says, arise, go into Damascus, and there shall be told of, uh, on thee of the things which are appointed for thee to do. God had a purpose for Paul, and he says, I want you to go to Damascus, take the next step. Listen, there's many times in our lives where Jesus, our Savior, the one who uh, died in the cross for our sins, will give us an instruction through his word, through preaching, through our reading of the Bible. He'll give us an in instruction, and we simply must do what he says. We must take that next step. He didn't even tell him what he was going to do in Damascus. He simply said, go to Damascus, and it's going to be shown to you there what, what you shall do, all that you shall do. Go. You know, a, a good way to show that you're identifying with Jesus Christ is to begin obeying him, even in the initial moments of salvation. Friends, I cannot understate under, uh, under, uh, the importance of what, is, what we see here in Paul's life of immediate obedience. Christians should obey Christ. The Bible we're holding is to be obeyed. And so many times we see it being changed and we say, well, it just doesn't mean that. That's just an opinion. Listen, we are responsible. This is the book that is going to be, is going to be the guide, the, the, the standard by which we're judged before Christ, not for salvation, but for reward. This is the standard. 
Friends, if it's in here, we're responsible for it. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. Well, I just don't know everything that's in there. Do you read it? Are you being a hearer of the word and a doer of the word? And so Paul immediately obeys. He, he arises and goes, and God does have a purpose for us, uh, for every Christian. But listen, you'll never discover the purpose for your life until you're willing to just simply obey God. Until you're willing to take that next step. Paul did not argue. He simply obeyed. He immediately obeyed. But when he got there, uh, Ananias, this man, comes to him and uh, gives him back his sight. By the way, that was a whole level of obedience on Ananias' part because, listen, I'm going to the guy that came into Damascus to kill me, to take me back to Jerusalem, and now I'm going to give him back his sight? Let him rot. No, no, that wasn't his, uh, that wasn't his attitude. He went and he ministered to him. And do you notice what, what, <laughs> what the Holy Spirit gives to us in uh, in these verses, look down with uh, me, and I'm, I'm looking for it. He says in verse number 13, He came unto me and stood, Ananias, and said unto me, do you see in verse 13 there? Brother Saul. Let's say that together. Brother Saul. Why do we call, uh, guys, why do we call each other brother? Praise God. We're brothers in Christ. Do you, know what, do you know what Ananias comes in that room having only received from the Holy Spirit about the change that happened in Paul? He walks in there and says, Brother Saul, what acceptance. And by the way, that's the acceptance that we ought to have. You know, Paul wasn't all cleaned up. Paul wasn't all changed. He had a, he had a journey of of sanctification, a lot that needed to yet happen in his life. But Ananias called him brother, brother Saul. And then began to reveal to him, gave him back his sight by the power, uh, power of God, gave him back his sight, and, and then immediately encouraged and urged him to do this. Arise and get baptized. Arise and get baptized. It's time to identify publicly with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's all baptism is, is a public identification of an inward decision to follow Jesus Christ. It's a picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We identify. Romans 6 talks about how that happens to us spiritually, but physically we are baptized. We're immersed in water. That's all that baptism means. It means to be immersed in water. To be immersed as a baby or to be immersed as a, as a person that does not know Jesus Christ uh, is just to get wet. But to be immersed as someone who's called on the name of the Lord is a picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ and identifying with that. Now, Paul, uh, Ananias here uh, states some things that have caused some, uh, some people to maybe be confused, but I want to just break this apart. He says, Arise, be baptized, and wash away thy, sin, uh, wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. The operative, the operative verb or instruction here is this calling upon the name of the Lord. Because Paul is called on the name of the Lord, uh, by, by means of him, the, the, the purpose of him calling on the name of the Lord is for the, the forgiveness or the washing away of sins. Now be baptized. Be baptized. I want to just share something with you. You might come across passages in Scripture that cause you to scratch your head. And might mean some more study, thinking on it, comparing Scripture with Scripture, but I want us to remember that Scripture is its own best commentary. Do we all understand that? And you interpret unclear passages of Scripture with clear passages of Scripture. Is Ananias teaching that baptism um, saves you? No. Well, how do we know that? Well, the Bible talks in other, uh, other parts and clarifies this. One from uh, the own language, it, it, isn't, it isn't indicating that the calling on the name of the Lord is what washes away sins. It's clear in the, in the language. But beyond that, I want us to just realize, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, what is it, friends? Shall be saved, Romans 10, 13. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. It followed salvation. Acts 8 and verse number 36, And as they went, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? What does hinder me to be baptized? He's, he's believed on Christ, and now he's with Philip, and he's saying, Hey, uh, what stops me from identifying with Jesus Christ in baptism right here, right now? And what does Philip say? If thou believest... 
If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe this. I believe this. That is what gave him salvation. Think about the thief on the cross who never had the chance to be baptized. It was not baptism that saved the thief on the cross. Jesus said, this day thou shalt be with me in, in paradise. And so one of the reasons that we always read Acts 2 and verse number 41, then they that gladly received his word were baptized, uh, before a baptism is just to always align this in our minds. Salvation, a decision to, to believe on Jesus Christ, and followed by public declaration of that decision through baptism. It's an identification. And one of the reasons we also ask a person, have you believed on Jesus Christ? Have you trusted in Christ? We want that public declaration of what's happened in their heart. And so we don't baptize people that, just to baptize people. Uh, we baptize those that have been, those that have called on the name of the Lord. And so Paul was baptized, and Paul uh, identified with Jesus Christ publicly. What, what that must have been like to be in Damascus and watch in whatever body of water that happened in as those that were going to be persecuted by Paul, watch Paul, watch Paul uh, be baptized and follow Jesus Christ, identify. You talk about a miracle day. You talk about shouting hallelujah. Uh, God can change, uh, change circumstances at any time. And so uh, if God can save Paul, the persecutor of the church, uh, he can save anybody. Praise the Lord for that. So he identified with Christ in baptism and everyday following. Listen, when he comes to the end of his life, he's still identifying with Christ. Let me just encourage you, being baptized isn't the only time we should identify with Christ. You need to identify with Christ everywhere you go. And Christians are so afraid of identifying with Christ in, the, in this day. Friends, it is now time not to be silent, but to stand up and shine for the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought not be ashamed to walk in Kettering. We ought not be ashamed to speak of Christ in the workplace. You ought not be ashamed to say praise the Lord when God helps you at work. You ought not be ashamed of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You ought not be ashamed of his word. You ought not be ashamed of going to church. None of these things. We should identify him with him every single day. In baptism, as he commanded Matthew 28, but also in following him. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Continuing to identify. Continuing to identify by obeying his word. I want us to notice Paul shared his story. It started with before Christ. This is who I was. None of those things fit me for heaven. None of those things saved me. But until that day, I came on the road to Damascus and Jesus stood in my path. Jesus showed up into me. What a beautiful picture of Jesus reaching out to us. And he's still doing that. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. He's still reaching out to the lost. He met Jesus. I am Jesus of Nazareth whom thou persecutest. What do you want me to do, Lord? What do you want me to do? What a blessed day. So that's when he met Christ. But I want us to see his life since Christ. His story included what happened after that meeting. And so go with me in verse number 17. Every gospel story should include a since then. A since then. And it came to pass, verse 17, that when I was come again to Jerusalem. So there's some time there. Why? Because it is 134 miles down to Jerusalem. There's some time involved here. This wasn't just the next day or the next hour. This was some time that was involved there. It came to pass, it went down to Jerusalem, and while I did what? Help me out. Verse number 17, while I did what in the temple? I prayed. I prayed. And I was in a trance. The Lord revealed himself. Do remember that we're not seeking visions and so forth in this day. We have the completed word of God in this day, and we're thankful for that. Paul did not. So God was continuing to guide him. And so as he's down there, God began to work in his heart. And there's some things happening in his life since the moment that he met Christ. What's happened in your life since Jesus came into your life? Don't just talk about the day that Jesus came into your life and met, you met him and you received him, but talk about the day on the days since. What has happened since? I love the song. So what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought. You know it. Since Jesus came into my heart, I have lied in my soul for which long I have sought since Jesus came into my heart. And that song is a testimony of the since then. The since then. What is happening in your life since then? Are you seeking him in prayer? Are you obeying his word? And the sense then, so look at verse number 18. And I saw him saying unto me, make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem. Well, I just got here. This is my hometown. I have a house here. 
Again, we don't see Paul arguing. The Lord told him, I'm not going to receive your testimony. And what happens in verse number 19 and 20, Paul goes, but Lord, um, I was a part of killing these people. Why wouldn't they receive my testimony? And so he does, he does talk with the Lord about it. And we note here, Paul did not fully understand why God was saying, go, leave Jerusalem. But I want us to realize that Paul decided on that day, the same one who saved him was, was able to direct him specifically in life. And he said, go, go. And I want us to catch this, this very, very important thought. Simple obedience is a very great thing in our lives. It's a very powerful thing in our lives. Simple obedience to God. Simple obedience to God. Paul was able later to tell the Corinthian believers who had all sorts of problems in their life that they needed to allow God to grow them past. He said to the Corinthian believers, hey, be ye followers of me even as also I am of Christ. Follow me as I obey Christ. Obey, follow as I am showing you an example of following Christ. Listen, he just obeyed him. He left Jerusalem. The Lord would begin to correct his doctrine and on the backside of the desert for three years, God put him through another training camp, another school, and corrected his doctrine and helped him to understand things. We learn more about that in the book of Galatians. But he obeyed. He, he followed the specific direction of God. Our story should include instances of this is what God has led me to do. This is what God has shown me to do. And friends, if we're not in a, if we can't remember the last time that we specifically obeyed God, there's a problem in our life. We need to be obeying God's specific direction without delay, immediately, even sometimes when we don't understand. Obeying his word. But notice the specific calling upon his life, what Paul was going to do for the rest of his life, did not come until after Paul until after Paul submitted to obeying the specific direction and leaving Jerusalem. And notice in verse number 21, and he said, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. Paul's place was not going to be primarily in Jerusalem with the Jewish believers there. Though he was a Jew, that wasn't going to be his focus. God was going to specifically use him to go out into the world and preach the gospel to the, uh, to the Gentiles that were scattered uh, throughout the world. And so that was going to be Paul's, Paul's whole point was, was that. And I want us just to really catch a hold of what, what goes on here. Paul was obedient to the specific calling of God, you're going to the Gentiles. And he did it with, with zeal. He did it with obedience. And so from Jerusalem... This just pictures some of the, the, the notable cities, specifically from the third missionary journey. But he took three different missionary journeys over the course of a little less than 20 years. And it is understood, some have counted up, that he planted 20-plus churches during that time, walking somewhere around 10,000 miles over the period of less than maybe 18, 17 years he was out preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. Let me tell you, that's a pretty extraordinary uh, success story for a follower of Jesus Christ right there, isn't it? You talk about all the people, and you even sitting here today are a result of Paul's ministry, as many of us are descendants from European, uh, European countries and so on. Uh, understand, uh, you, are, you are a result of his obedience to the Lord, to the specific calling. Wait a minute, I'm a Jew. I don't want to go to the Gentiles. No, he obeyed. He obeyed. Bible says that he went to the Jew first and also to the Greek as Jesus had commanded him to do, but he obeyed. He had a specific calling on his life. Well, didn't that include risk? Yeah. The stones flew in Lister, right? <laughs> didn't it require faith? Yeah, taking steps without understanding it all. There's things on some of your hearts here today. I know because we, we've talked that you're going to have to be at the point where Paul was and taking a step even though you don't see all the steps down the way. You follow with me? You may not know how it's going to turn out in five years from now, but you know you have enough light for the step ahead of you. Leave Jerusalem. This is where I'm sending you. 
Did Paul immediately take missionary journeys? No, he went to the backside of the desert. He went to, uh, back to Tarsus. He went to Antioch, got involved in the, on the church there with Barnabas, was discipling, just working in the church until God says, separate me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work whereto I've sent them. Acts chapter 13. And then they went. And it was time before Paul got to actually fulfill the specific calling, but he was obeying the specific direction of the Lord. Go here, do this. Uh, uh, this is my will for you. Will it cost? Yeah, it cost him. Sometimes he had to work. Temp making. But God used Paul in such a marvelous way. And you know what? You're no different. Paul wasn't some sort of superhuman. He was a human like you. With like passions. And you too have a calling. You too have had the voice of God through his word say, go here, do this. Are you doing it? And friends, what I want to encourage us, that needs to be a part of our story. What is your life since coming to Christ? Is it a life of obedience? Is it a life of saying, yes, sir, Lord, I'll do it even? When I don't fully understand, I'll take the step of faith, expecting that you'll continue to give me light. That's what Paul did. And we look back over the course of his life, and it's a wonder of all that, he, all that he accomplished. As a church, we've been praying about church planning. Do we understand how it'll work? Do we understand how we can plant a church? Do we understand? No. The Lord just said, uh, hey, why don't you help out over in New Albany? Why don't you help out over in Hilliard? Why don't you help out in Dearborn? And you know what? There's um, members across our flock that are saying, okay, Lord, let's do it. Help out with Dayton Baptist Church. Okay, Lord, let's do it. And you know what? The Lord is going to continue to lead us down this path. And we're going to see the Lord give us what we want, what we've been asking him for, what he's impressed upon a heart to be able to plant a church out of Grace Baptist Church. We'll see that someday as we continue to do the, 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 the initial steps. But friends, some of it may come down to this. You taking the initial step to do what the Lord has told you to do. Get your story ready. Paul had his story ready in the midst of chaos in the midst of hostility he was ready to share his story are you ready to share your story are you ashamed of your story well it's not that that cool of a story and you see i grew up in a christian home and i came to christ at um, six years of age and and uh and the lord uh, touched my heart when i was a teenager and i decided to follow him and give me my whole life it's just not that exciting story i didn't go through drugs and alcohol and and i i don't have a, a huge story of like paul he persecuted people i don't have that type of story you have a story and your story is no less important and no less impactful than someone who has gone through the, the, the gutter of life and, and the sin and, the, and, and just the, the debauchery of life. Listen, what were you saved from? All of that. Praise God you were saved at a young age. Share your story. Share your story. Paul was not ashamed of his story. We find here in verse number 22, that as soon as he says, God sent me to the Gentiles, that's when everyone got mad. You talk about blowing up a situation. It was right then. They all got mad. You know, he wasn't ashamed. This is what God has done in my life. Jesus of Nazareth has saved me. I acknowledge him as Lord. He is the one who has saved my soul, and I'm following after him. I've identified with him in baptism. I'm doing his will right now. I'm going forward for him. And yes, he sent me to the Gentiles. Praise God. And they all got mad. Not everyone's going to like your story. Not every family member is going to appreciate your story of faith in Jesus Christ. Not every family member is going to like your since thens, your acts of obedience to the Lord. Your coworkers aren't going to say, you know, way to go. It is so great that you went to church and that you're, you're witnessing for your faith and you've made a decision to stop going to that, um, that place and that you're walking in righteousness and holiness and trying to honor God and dressing in a way that reflects Jesus Christ. They're not going to say, way to go. They're not going to do that. Are you willing still to share your story and the sense thens? Paul was not ashamed of his story. He said to the Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. He did not say to everyone that's baptized. He said to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He was not ashamed. Not ashamed. Are we? Well, you don't know what it's like to live in America compared to back then. I mean, it's just so much easier. I don't know about you, but... My story hasn't caused a riot yet. Yet. 
Friends, we have it so easy. At this point in our lives, we have the freedom of speech. You can go declare your story anywhere. You can't do that in India without really being discerning. You can in America. And when we think about, well, you know, America, America has many people that are Christian. Here in Kettering, only 35% of people identify as religious and only 8.6% of people would identify as followers of Jesus Christ. Your story's needed. We haven't won the city yet. We haven't won 56,000 people to Christ yet. We haven't won them over. We need to be storytellers, witnesses of Jesus Christ everywhere we go. I don't live in Kettering. Your city is probably not much different. As we conclude here today, I want to encourage you. Many of you have worked on, since about 2019, many of you have worked on writing down your story. The number one reason people don't share their faith is because of fear. But God didn't tell you to, you know, go share someone else's story. He said, just share what happened to you. He said, you are my witnesses. He told Paul, you're going to be my witness to the Gentiles. You are the witness of the Lord Jesus Christ here on earth. I have printed, and you can also find uh, on our website, under resources, uh, the My Story Guide. You can go there, and uh, so I have a selection of these printed. We can print more, but they're a My Story Planner to help you write out your story of faith in Jesus Christ. It'll walk you through. It'll ask some questions. It'll give a step. Our, our desire would be, and it's still on my heart, that our church would have many different uh, people's stories, many of our members' stories of coming to faith in Jesus Christ in tract form that we can be passing out. We're not, I'm not letting go on that project. It's still something that's on my heart. Um, just this past week, I received one of our members' stories that they've been working on for a couple years. That's a blessing. And I know there's some of you that are still working on your story. Could I encourage you, using the example of the Apostle Paul today, to go back home this afternoon dust that story off and get back at it. You say, well, I'm not sure about doing a whole track thing and maybe a video thing. I'm not sure about all that. Write it down for the purpose of being ready to share it anywhere you are. Can we all agree to that? Maybe. Hey, I'm not going to give up on it. Jesus said you're his witnesses. And if you're not being a witness, you're a delinquent Christian. And it's my job to stir you up. And I will lovingly do that over and over and over again. Why? Because the world needs your witness. Paul just shared his story. He didn't preach a three-point message. He shared a story. I broke it down. He just shared his story. No one is more qualified to share your story than you. And so why don't you take a step? Grab the guide. Go to our website. You say, well, I, I, I don't know. I need more information. At the website, at the My Story Planner, you can watch a video. Miss Joanne's story, she walked through this, and she wrote out her story. It was very simple, but then she shared it on video. You can watch that one there. You can, Cliff's story, Cliff's story is in tract form, and it is at the Jesus page at our website. And so we want more. Right, Brother Cliff? We want more. And uh, you can listen to a sermon going through and explaining this. You can also listen to other stories or other sermons along with this, like when your story hurts. Like, what do you do when going back and thinking through your story, it actually brings up things that are painful in your life? Well, there's a message that goes along with that. So at the My Story Planning Center, at our website, it's been up there. I encourage you to be there today. So my encouragement as Christians, we all need to share a story, so let's, let's make sure that we are ready like Paul was to share the story. My encouragement to you that have not yet, don't yet have a story, is today. Let's make this the day of salvation. Let's bow in prayer this morning and talk to the Lord about these things and ask him for wisdom. Some of you may just want to come and just say, Lord, I surrender uh, I'm going to write down my story. I want to be a faithful and ready witness, so I'm going to write down my story. I'm going to be ready with it. Maybe it's that you need to just surrender the fact. You've been using as an excuse. My story is not as exciting as someone else's, but it's your story.
your story. Could I ask here this morning, how many of you would say with an upraised hand, Pastor, I do have a story of coming to Jesus Christ like Paul did. There was a day when I realized that Jesus Christ was the one who came into the world to die on the cross for my sins. I've accepted him as my personal savior. That's my story and I'm proud of it. Will you raise your hand? I know for certain I'm on my way to heaven. Amen. Amen. I'd encourage you, if you do not know that, have that confidence in heart. Today is the day of salvation. Paul reminded us that it wasn't family, it wasn't education, and it wasn't, it wasn't uh, his sincerity, but it was faith in Jesus Christ. What's hindering you right now? What's stopping you right now from placing your faith in Jesus Christ? Can you identify that? Why don't you tell the Lord right now, right where you are, Lord, I need your help. I want to believe, as one said in the, in the scriptures, help thou my unbelief. Would you help me to come to you? Jesus says, those that come to him, I will in no wise cast out. Is the just shall live by faith. It's not going to be by thinking through it. It, it. The just shall live by faith. Taking that step of faith to believe in him and what he did for you at the cross. I encourage you in that way. When I ask you, do you share your story before Christ, when you met Christ, and since believing in Christ? Do you share that story? Are you a faithful witness? Maybe today you'd simply need to come and say, Lord, I want to be a faithful witness. Forgive me. Forgive me for not sharing my story. Forgive me for not being ready. But I also want to encourage you about this matter of writing it down so that you're even more prepared. Let's stand to our feet. Father, this morning as we pray and seek your face together as a group of believers, Lord, we ask that you would help us to be ready witnesses like Paul was. You've shown it to us so vividly in his life. And so we give you praise, and we help, I ask for your help today. Pray for those that don't know you. Please, Lord, pray that you'd help them to come to you by faith and, and seek you to help them, to help them understand what it is you've done for them. We love you in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed, let's find places to pray, whether they're at your seat or here at the altar. Maybe you need to come up and grab one of these my story guides. I'll have them on both sides, and you say, I'm, that's the commitment I'm making today. Uh, I don't want to put that pressure on you. You have to make that decision between you and the Lord. But I'd certainly encourage every one of us to pray, Lord, I want to be sharing my story. I want to be sharing my story. I want to be a witness. Let's do business with the Lord. The altar's open. Pray at your seat, wherever. Let's do business with the Lord. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Grace Baptist or how to have eternal life, visit gracekettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.